Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Everything is Black and White podcast here on Chronicle Live. Newcastle Fans TV, Sam Mulliner here, filling in once again for Andrew Musgrove, who uh, is off, as you well know, to start his married life. I'm delighted to be joined on this view from the opposition by Hampshire Live's Mark Wyatt. Mark, good afternoon, morning, evening. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah, really well, thank you. And thanks for having me. I'm really excited by this one. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a game that well, I think back to last season, Newcastle were just sort of sorting themselves out under Eddie Howe and it was the first time we saw um, a, a real rise to prominence of a certain Bruno Guimaraes with a very memorable goal. What were your memories of that game last season? Yeah, I mean, um, St Mary's was certainly ready for that, wouldn't they? Um, I think it was there was a lot of expectation around that game and... and you mentioned there with, with Bruno Guimaraes and was it Chris Wood that got the other goal as well? Um, yeah. you know, a relatively new signing at that point, only been at the club a couple of months and waiting for him to find his boots as well. So, I mean, there was certainly a lot of expectation going into that one on, on the South Coast. And I think a lot of Southampton fans would have been, you know, gleefully rubbing their hands when Stuart Armstrong scored the first. But, you know, things quickly turned around and it was in the midst of a, of a pretty dodgy run for Southampton as well, which... They kind of find themselves in this time around as they look to welcome Newcastle to St Mary's again. So I'm sure we're in for another really exciting game uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, Southampton struck me as a team these days that blow very hot and cold. Um, it would seem like Ralph Hasenhutl is maybe a bit under pressure again, but he's been there before and come out the other side and he's still there. Um What's the feeling around Southampton towards the manager, and is there a change going to happen anytime soon, or is 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 he popular with the squad? Is he popular with the ownership? Uh, well, if you are some fans, then he's one of the most hated men on the south coast at the moment. Um, but it, it really does depend on, on who you do ask. Um, you're right to mention there that the pressure that came on. There were four consecutive defeats across September and October: um, Aston Villa, Wolves, Everton, and, and Manchester City. I know the game at the Etihad is one that most clubs will write off this season. But in terms of how they performed in those games, I think that was the real worry, especially the, the Wolves and the Villa games in against clubs who, who had both, you know, went on to lose their managers within the following weeks. But 1-0 defeats for Southampton there didn't look too pretty. Um, there was a slight kind of a, a, a resurgence, if you will. Um, three games, two draws against West Ham at home and at the, the league leaders, Arsenal, and then a win in the midweek against Bournemouth, which kind of alleviated some of that pressure. Um, but then a, a, a loss to Crystal Palace uh, at Sellers Park on, on Saturday, which wasn't the greatest um, performances, again, from Southampton. The first half was really dreadful, and they managed to pick it up in the second half, but couldn't find the goal that could, could kind of bring them back into the game. So the pressure is still certainly on. Whether Ralph will be replaced um, this side of the World Cup, if it indeed does happen, uh, remains to be seen. I think over the summer there was a fairly conscious effort from the from the owners at Southampton to 
reinvigorate the playing squad. There were a lot of new coaches as well, out with the old, in with the new, but Ralph was one of those ones who stuck around. Um, his relationship with the players, we're made to believe it, it is quite good, although some people will tell you that's not the case. Um, they're certainly still playing for the manager, if, if we'll accept that cliche. And, and I think things, you know, they're not quite a tipping point just yet. I think this is a very, very young squad that Southampton have got this season. Um, and one that Ralph Hasenhutl constantly reminds fans and reporters alike that it's going to take time, it's going to take wins, draws and losses to get this team to gel together. Um, so I don't think that the blame can be at the manager's door immediately. But uh, as we know, the Premier League moves ruthlessly quick. And uh, if results aren't coming their way, you know, by the time we come back from the World Cup and those first few fixtures, then I think a change will happen. Personally, I can't see it happening before then, even with the results against Newcastle. And then they've got Liverpool away on their final game before the World Cup break. But I think he, he, he isn't quite on borrowed time just yet. And I think he's got enough good credit in the bank from, well, we're coming up to four years since he was first appointed at St Mary's. So I think there's a bit of time still for, for Ralph to go. And, and you know, it, it just all depends on what these next few games are like for him. Yeah, you mentioned the Man City game there, which, as, as you quite rightly say, is a write-off going to the uh, Etihad these days. But considering Southampton are 17th in the league on, on just 12 points, they seem to be relatively, recently anyway, looking at their previous four games, relatively defensively sound. 1-1 at home to Southampton, 1-0 away, a 1-0 win away at Bournemouth. 1-1 at home to, to top of the table Arsenal. And then you mentioned that disappointing 1-0 defeat away at Palace. Um, are they are they hard to break down, this Southampton side? I think they are when they have their full strength back line um, in those games. I think Armel Belakotchap was a summer signing from the Bundesliga, from, from Bochum. Um, he's dislocated his shoulder. He did that against West Ham. He's probably not going to be back for that Newcastle game. Carl Walker-Peters, most people know exactly what he's all about. Again, a really bad hamstring injury he suffered against Bournemouth. That's him gone now until, well, certainly the next few games and, and the World Cup as well. Those two players are incredibly important to what Southampton are trying to do at the back. And it's been a bit patchwork trying to replace them. You know, tested around with five at the back and players slotting in at one back as well. But... You're right, that defensive solidity has, has remained to an extent. Southampton are still conceding chances and good chances of that. But at the moment, the, the unit seems to be doing quite well. The, the biggest problem with Southampton at the moment is at the other end of the pitch. I think it's three goals they've scored in their last seven games, um, which in the Premier League is, isn't isn't good enough. And, and you know, there's, there's questions over Che Adams, who's the... The, the leading striker for, for the season as well. They wanted to bring in a, a different centre-forward to get them goals this summer, but they weren't actually able to do that. And so Che Adams finds himself leaving the line um, and missing some pretty big chances, which hurt more and more uh, when you're not, you know, when you're not scoring from other outlets. Um, when Che Adams can't put the ball in the net, it, it, it hurts. So, yes, they, they do look defensively sound and it's something they have put a lot of time and effort working into um, over the last couple of months with this new group. But the problems, um, the problems are coming at the other end at the moment. Yeah, and you now face a Newcastle side which statistically has the best defence in the Premier League. Um, how times change. Um, but you mentioned Shea Adams there, the leading scorer for Southampton so far this season with five goals. Outside of him, it, it, it's pretty weak. Um, Adam Armstrong is a player I want to talk about because he's done the the reverse Alan Shearer 
as he as he now finds himself at Southampton with with Blackburn in the middle. Has he been disappointing in a way? Because I think for, again from the outside looking in, Southampton have really struggled to replace Danny Ings. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's been disappointing for Armour. I think he came with with not too much expectation of whether he was going to be a, a, a big source of goals or not, obviously making that step into the Premier League um, from the Championship. I think a lot of people hoped he'd kick on this summer, or this season rather. Um, during pre-season, I was out in Austria with the team watching them and, and, and he actually looked really up for it. He, he scored a goal in pre-season. I believe it was against RB Leipzig as well. And, and and the next friendly and the next couple of friendlies, he looked really lively. But things just haven't really clicked for him um, at the moment. He, he he kind of gets moved around the pitch. He's a bit of a versatile player in Ralph's mind in that regard. And he'll often find himself at left wing where his job maybe is just to do running, really, which he is you know, very good at. Um, he does run himself into the ground every week. But, you know, you and I know and, and the listeners know that, that end product is, is what all fans want from a player that starts, you know, most games. And um, Armour just hasn't really been finding that. So um, it's a shame for him because he's a popular member of the dressing room. Um, I know that, you know, there are, he still has a lot of fans on the South Coast and, and people want him to do well. Um, but he finds himself in a similar position to Che, really, where, you know, the opportunities are coming, but he just doesn't look like a man in confidence at the moment. There were quite a few chances he had during that those games I mentioned, West Ham, Bournemouth and Arsenal, where you know he, he had chances to either secure a result or, or, or confirm a result and neither of them kind of came off his boot in the right way and, and the chances go begging. But, you know, this just seems to be the way when, you, when you're down in the bottom half and, and in the bottom five like Southampton are, every chance is, is incredibly important. And so when players don't take them, you, you tend to remember that a lot more than perhaps in Manchester City, like we said, where... Another chance is only 30 seconds around the corner. So perhaps it's um, it's a bit harsh on, on Armour to, to say how disappointed everyone's been because we know he's working really hard. But, you know, like I said earlier, you know, there's only so much that that good grace can take you and you need you need goals at the end of the day and, and he's just not providing them. Where can Southampton potentially hurt Newcastle then? Because... Shea Adams, he's, he's, I think he's kind of built in a similar mould to Callum Wilson, but I, I think, well, I'd like to think we'd both agree that Callum Wilson is slightly a better version than uh, than Shea Adams, just a tiny bit. Um, can can Shea Adams do some damage up the top end of the, the pitch to really give Sven Botman and Fabian Shea problems? In theory, absolutely. Um, you know, he's um, he's a player that feeds on on remarkable chances, I think we've kind of reflected on over the last eighteen months or however long now. He seems to um, he seems to have a taste for the for the special goal, um, and, and and the easier ones he finds a little bit more difficult, um, which is hard to plan for. I'm sure from Newcastle's point of view, you can't really plan for a moment of magic like that. Um, but he can he can still hurt them, and, and I think his biggest um, one of his biggest traits in this Southampton team is his hold up play. He's um, when he starts as a lone centre forward or as part of a two, he's brilliant at bringing other people into the game, and we've seen that during the last couple of weeks as well in, in bringing the players that play off him. Most notably, Joe Aribo, Mohamed El Yunusi, Adam Armstrong sometimes as well, and, and just giving that defence a little bit of a breather and, and holding the ball up in that centre forward spot and, and trying to play off of him. And I think uh, Southampton have got a lot of good players that are very tricky with their feet and very nimble perhaps not players that you'd expect to go on lung-busting runs and dribble around five players at a time, but certainly ones who can pick a pass, find a little 
angle. We saw that with the goal that Stuart Armstrong scored against Arsenal. It was a really nice, tight reverse ball from Mohamed El Yunusi through about four very informed Arsenal defenders and then a really nice finish from, from Armstrong to finish it off. But in terms of how Che can, can hurt this defence, it's going to be a really tough game for him. There's no doubt about that. But like I said, it's just about managing to get on the ball and hoping they can then work it wide and, and, and hopefully get some balls into the box because that seems to be the best way in which Southampton are finding the back of the net at the moment. But it is just finding that pass in, in midfield and that transition stopping Bruno Guimaraes from, from kind of enforcing that, that middle line and hoping they can beat it. And from there, you know, instinct hopefully takes, excuse me, takes over. Um, but we'll see on Sunday, won't we? Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> stopping Bruno, my word, what a player. But one player we haven't spoke about yet for, for Southampton is James Ward-Prowse. Now, there's a World Cup round the corner and there's there's not, many shouts anymore for James Ward-Prowse to be in and around that World Cup squad. I mean, you go back to this time last year and those shouts were pretty pretty deafening. What's sort of gone wrong for him? Is it just something as trivial as you're not getting as many free kicks in and around the box anymore? I mean, that's a good place to start, to be honest, because when people talk about James Ward-Prowse, you think about free kicks, set-piece deliveries and things like that. So, I mean, if we start there, then 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, he hasn't scored a free kick yet this season. I'm sure everyone would know if he had, but the chances have been there. Um, it, maybe not in a shooting position, but his deliveries have still been good. You know, he, his corners have improved. There was a little run at the start of the season where he couldn't really beat the first man, but he seems to have ironed that out pretty quickly. Um, in terms of his positioning on the pitch, I think it makes a big difference. Romeo Lavia, the 18-year-old centre midfielder they signed from Manchester City over the summer, got injured after five games and has only just come back after two months out. Um, Ralph hasn't really trusted any other player to sit on their own in, in, a, in, in the midfield. And so often he's deployed James Ward-Prowse alongside, it could be Ibrahim Diallo or, or Ainsley Maitland-Niles, just someone extra to give that defence a little bit of a breather and, and a little bit of help. What that does, unfortunately, for Ward-Prowse is it means he can't really leave his role and get involved in attacks as much as he'd like to, um, which means his numbers are obviously down. Um, there's no doubt that his performances in themselves actually haven't been up to standard either. Um, a lot of people have been looking at, at, at players like James Ward-Prowse and Carl Walker-Peters before he got injured to, to help lift the team through difficult moments in games. I mentioned that Aston Villa loss, the Wolves loss as well. Looking at those senior figures and, and, and trying to get them to grab the team by the scruff of the neck and pull them through, but they just hadn't managed to do it this season. So... The, the reason his name isn't really being touted amongst the, the plane to Qatar is a similar reason as well. I mean, he went away on Gareth Southgate's September international squad, but didn't get a minute on the pitch, which you know should show you that he's not part of those initial plans. I don't think he, he gets into the starting 11 past the, the plethora of midfielders already available to Gareth Southgate. So if he was going to go to the Middle East, then you suggest it would be as a squad player. Um, but even then, you'd, you'd bank on him being in some kind of good form to, to get that spot, which he isn't really in at the moment. Um, I know it was heartbreaking for him to miss out on the Euro squad last summer. And, and you know, he's spoken about that to, to us and, and to lots of people. And he really, really felt that. And he hoped that, you know, last season it was his best scoring season for, for the club. And he hoped to use that form into the, into the current campaign to, to get himself a spot on that plane to Qatar. But it just doesn't seem like it's, it's going to happen, which is... A big shame for him because he's undoubtedly a very talented player and he has a lot to offer. But you do feel like this could be his last real chance to go to a major tournament with his country, which is what he's been dreaming of since he was a kid. So 
it's a shame in that sense. I'd love to see him go on personal reasons, but in terms of what he's putting out on the pitch at the moment, I, I just think Southgate will, will look elsewhere. Sticking with Gareth Southgate and uh, the upcoming England World Cup squad, um, us as Newcastle supporters can often be accused of being in our own little world, our own little bubble. So to get your uh, point of view is quite valuable because we're just convinced that Callum Wilson should be in that squad and that he is the best alternative to Harry Kane. We all know Harry Kane's going to be England's first choice striker no matter what. Where do you sit on this debate on on the next best? Is Are we right in thinking Callum Wilson should go or are you more of an Ivan Tony man, a Marcus Rashford fan? Where, where do you sit on this? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, well, you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to come onto this uh, Newcastle podcast and, and deliver any kind of Callum Wilson slander. I know better than that. Um, no, honestly, I, I have said this, you know, amongst you know, social groups and and my peers and colleagues as well. I, I I do think Callum Wilson is probably the best the best person to to act as a foil to Harry Kane. Um, looking at his goals to minutes, I think it's from the start of last season he actually outperformed Harry Kane. I don't think that is any way to suggest that he should start against Iran in that first group stage game, but. Yeah, for me, he is the he is the next best um, the next best thing. Um, Ivan Tony as well, and Marcus Rashford, just two of the names you mentioned there. Dominic Calvert Lewin obviously got a shout. Tammy Abraham. There's so much talent up the top end of the pitch for Gareth Southgate. But I think you touched on it a little bit there in that you do want someone who can act as a bit of a foil to Harry Kane. And I just think Callum Wilson just you know he seems to have that, and 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 he works well around with the players he's got around him. I think he's shown he's versatile over the last few years, especially working under Eddie Howe in a system which, when Eddie Howe arrived, I wasn't too sure how he'd fit in and, and how he'd get the goals. I know he's done it before under him, but I, th- I just think, yeah, I think he's the clear choice um, uh, ahead of, of, of Ivan Tony and, and ahead of Marcus Rashford, who perhaps you wouldn't even say is a central striker anymore. You know, So I think in terms of when you want your best players playing in their best positions week in, week out, Playing in a team that's successful as well, which is an incredibly important thing to do to go into a tournament like that, playing with confidence. Um, that I can't really see too far too far past Callum Wilson. Um, of course, it would you know just be his luck to get an injury over the next two games or something. But I'll touch the wood. Don't. And <laughs> no, we don't. Have to, I think to be, to be fair, if if he didn't make the squad, I don't think. Well. Eddie Howe will claim he's disappointed for Callum, but I don't think he'll be that much disappointed to himself, really. Keeping him fit for Newcastle has been so vital, um, especially with Alexander Isak now injured as well after just signing for for us. Um, the final one with England, then, who's who's been in with a shout from a Newcastle perspective is, uh, is Big Dan Byrne. Back in the day, England had a plethora of centre-backs, well, not just centre-backs, world-class centre-backs, but now the, the the ground is really, really thin for for English centre-halves. Is he a live candidate to nick, in, uh, nick a place in the squad, or do you think Southgate has his favourites and there's just, it, it's a foregone conclusion who he picks? 
Um, I'd say the latter is probably more likely um, with his favourites. You look at the current crop they've got and and you can't see too many dropping out of that. I think Mark Gay at Crystal Palace, I watched him over the weekend. I think he's probably one of those players who is on the edge and and probably more likely than than Dan Byrne to get into the squad. Um, But saying that, I've seen a lot of Dan Byrne over the years for Brighton and, and Fulham before that as well. So I know him as a player quite well and I certainly think, you know, based on, on a system of meritocracy, then, then he has to be in the picture. Whether Gareth Southgate picks him or not is a completely different matter. I think it will come down to those kind of groups of favourites and, and, and whether he gets him through there. Um, but just in terms of, of the way he plays as well, I mean, we will see this on Sunday and, and it will prove incredibly useful against Che Adams. But, I mean, we talk about his height all the time and, and how good he is in the air and, and dominating the, the defence and, and all that kind of stuff. But the thing I'm most impressed with Dan Byrne is, is his leadership and, and his mental side of the game. I think he reads the game incredibly well and he almost gets hidden and kind of lock, you throw away the lock and key and say, oh, he's just a big man. You know, he knows what to do at the back, but he is a lot more than that. Um, Newcastle knew that when, when they signed him and, and Brighton knew that in keeping him in their Premier League defence for for however many years they did. So there's certainly more than meets the eye to him. But do I think he's going to break into Gareth Southgate's squad? I'm not too sure if he will. No, I I would probably agree with you there. But I do think he does deserve it. I mean, there was a a tackle he made on Buendia at 0-0 last week against Aston Villa, which was world-class. World-class. And um, he's, he's one of them players that just goes under the radar and just... Started from the bottom, worked his way up, and just proper proper grafter, which I think in an England squad would be um, very very useful. Um, one player who won't be available on Sunday is a player who was much maligned at one point, but now is an absolute beast, and that's Joe Linton. Um, I suppose it's a relief for Southampton now that um, he's not playing, whereas in previous years it, it, you'd be praying for him to start. An absolute relief. It feels like, uh, you know, talking about players that you didn't think to start. I mean, we talk about Miguel Almiron as well. And, 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 you know, all these players that Eddie Howe seems to have have turned up and and turned around. I know Joe Linton's kind of upturning form goes back a little bit earlier than Howe. But in terms of the way he's been playing and and we said about Dan Byrne, his physicality there. But having someone with that kind of stature as Joe Linton to sit in the middle of the park and, be an enforcer and, and make things happen. You know, it almost seems like why did we, why did no one think of this before? He seems like he's been playing there for for decades. Um, but yeah, absolutely a player that Southampton and Ralph Hasenhutl will be looking at and saying, thank God he did get that yellow card and and won't be able to play at St Mary's because you know it's just another player that you don't have to worry about. Again, as I preface that, you know, players that are coming in as well into a confident team. You can't just uh, focus on those individuals. You have to look at it as a as a collective. But you know, it just seems like Newcastle are singing off the same hymn, hymn sheet in in every position on the pitch at the moment. So, um, although yes, I'm sure everyone will be pleased that Joe Linton isn't playing. There'll be just as much worry, I'm sure, for what the rest of the team are going to be able to conjure up on the south coast on Sunday. Yeah, you mentioned Almer on there, which. Teams are used to playing against Almiron. He's been with us for for you know, three, uh, over three seasons now. Since I mean, Rafa Benitez signed him, and we've had a, 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 a very questionable Steve Bruce reign in between uh, now and then. What's the view on a guy like Almiron and that 
does that then tie in with opinions about the job Eddie Howe's done to get improvement? Because it'd be very easy just to say Newcastle have spent a lot of money. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're spot on. I was covering um I was covering Newcastle last season against Crystal Palace at St James's Park when Almiron scored the only goal of the game. I think it was his first goal involvement of that season as well. And it seems like since then things haven't really slowed down too much for him. But that point you make there about, you know, Newcastle have spent money. They've spent it in the right way. I mean, before we even get into that, they seem to have spent all the money they've got in the right way and bring in the, the players that they have in. Um, but you're you're completely right. It's it's that's the most impressive thing for me and for a lot of other people is seeing the job Eddie Howe's done on on players like Almiron, on players like Joe Linton and and and, and Dan Byrne as well. In, in just the confidence that he he's brought to the team and to the system, in terms of how that kind of fits into what Newcastle are doing in a wider picture as well, I think it's really impressive because you can look at it and say, you know, this club has now got a lot of money. A lot of those players are going to be thinking, I need to play well to keep my shirt. Otherwise, the next January transfer window that comes in, a, a 30, 40 million pound winger is going to come in and take my place. Some of it is is clearly down to that. I'm sure Miguel Almon is very aware that, you know, his his performances needed to improve. But also, you have to take credit and, and have to give testament to Eddie Howe for what he's been able to bring out of these players. And, you know, I'm sure you know a lot better than I do. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do as well, just how effusive Eddie Howe can be. And how detailed and precise he can be in his in his post match and pre match comments about certain players, and I think if that's what we're seeing externally from the media, just imagine what it is like on the training pitches. And I can only imagine that, you know, Eddie Howe and his coaching staff have got an incredibly detailed and tailored um, uh, plan for a lot of these guys. And and Miguel Almiron is probably no different. And they saw in him a player that was just waiting to kind of explode onto the Premier League scene consistently and and now they're starting to reap the rewards of that so you know um again it's it's another i've said this at the end of everything i've said today but it's another player that southampton are going to have to be really really careful around on on sunday and, and make sure they do their due diligence on these players because it's not the same newcastle team that rocked up six months ago and it's certainly not the newcastle team that rocked up six months before that so um it's, it's a lot of work where is the key battles on the pitch then, in your opinion, on Sunday? Where will the game be won and lost? I think it is in that kind of midfield corridor, if you will, in, in that area. I mentioned about Saints' injuries. I can't imagine we'll, we'll see Romeo Lavia back in the starting team for Southampton, even though he was such an, a linchpin in those early five games. He's not quite back up fitness yet, so he probably won't come in, which means we'll likely see uh, uh, any two of... of, of you know, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Ibrahima Diallo and James Ward-Prowse in that midfield role. Uh, and if it's a back four or a back five, we're still not too sure, then it, it's it's going to be a really, I'm expecting a, a quite a, a key battle in that kind of middle third area, especially with Bruno Guimaraes patrolling it and, and and hoping to snap up any, any loose balls he can. Because I, th- I think the big thing about Southampton and, and you know, you'll be able to tell me this, but maybe to a degree Newcastle as well, is once you have that 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 kind of possession and, and you've won that battle in midfield, then you can bring in your your you know your craftsmen and, and your and your players at the top end of the pitch. And Southampton do that very specifically. They they they'll go long, they'll go short, they'll they'll play around with how they distribute from the back. But the key to all of that is that dominance in central midfield and making sure that not only are you there to pick up the loose balls, but then you've also got your head up to pick out the right pass. Um, Southampton, when they're in full flow on a counter attack or managing to get up the pitch and, and and in direct you know direct running styles, they look really really good. 
Um, but it's just getting to that point. And if they don't control the midfield battle, I don't think they'll get anywhere near what they want to accomplish at the other end of the pitch. Um, with, with the same breath, obviously, if, if they lose that midfield battle and, and Newcastle are able to put a foot on the ball in that middle area and then start spraying it out from there, then I think that's where the real danger will come for Ralph and the team. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that that, that midfield battle, is, although it does sound a little bit cliche, it's, you know, control that and you'll likely control the game on Sunday. No, I completely agree. Um, the midfield has been so key for, for, for Newcastle in particular over the last... Well, since we've started on this incredible run, really, I mean, the likes of... I mean, it, it's obviously easy to, to pinpoint Bruno because he is world-class and, and, for me, he gets in any team in the Premier League, any. Um, but then you've got the little subplots of improvements from Joe Willock, improvements from Sean Longstaff. We've missed John Joe Shelby. He's now starting to come back from, from injury. And, um, of course, Joe Linton, but who is obviously suspended now for Sunday. So that, that midfield battle, I think, really, really is key. And then damage can be done at either end of the pitch, but um, hopefully Newcastle do that damage. <laughs> but, um, Mark, I'm going to finally ask you for a prediction for Sunday's game. Where do you think the points will be going? Yeah, I thought this was going to come. It's always my least favourite part of any recording I do because I'm awful at these predictions. Um, although I am aware that, <clears throat> excuse me, most people listening to this are going to want the complete opposite. I, I've got to back, um, I've got to back Ralph and, and the boys and hope that they can turn it around on the south coast. We see them do it at home quite a few times this season and put in really good performances. So I'm going to say the good times are going to carry on rolling uh, there and, and say they're going to get a much, much needed. 1-1 draw, with not quite the win, but a 1-1 draw against the Champions League side would do Southampton very nicely. So that's going to be my prediction. No, no, against the Champions League side, behave yourself. <laughs> that's ridiculous. But I thought, to be fair, I thought you were queuing yourself up to, to, to give it a home win. I mean, I almost was, and then I remembered the last kind of maybe three months of the season and thought, actually, I, I better not bite off more than I can chew here. Yeah, I mean, as well, like back in the in the good old days of Newcastle, it was a place like the like went back in the days of the Dell and 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 when the the move happened to St Mary's it was a place that it was more or less a write off. We'd never get a win there, but recently that that tide's turned. I remember the last game, but um, I think it was the last game before lockdown, a one nil win from St Maximum, who we haven't even spoke about. He could return to the the starting eleven to replace Joe Linton on the on the left hand side, just very very briefly. What's the view of Alan St. Maximin? Um, if you're asking me my Southampton perspective, it's a little bit different from seeing him on the pitch. But personally, I, I it's, it's a difficult one. So I, I used to put him in the same category as Wilfred Zaha, just incredibly, supremely talented, but sometimes leaves you in, in positions in which, you know, speaking as a fan in the terraces, you, you kind of raise your arms and think, just, just kill him, just go for him and go and make that happen because you have all the ability to do it. And when he doesn't do it, it can be supremely frustrating. Um, but if we're talking about him in the last kind of six, seven months, I've seen kind of sporadic moments of him. I think it was in the, the Man City game where you just kind of look at him and you think, oh, this is a player who, you know, when things matter, this guy can seriously come out and show everyone what he can do. I think if you see that on a more consistent basis, then, you know, I'm sure people by the end of the season will be talking about him in much different uh, turns of phrases. But for now... I think it's just a case of, of hoping he can do that on a more consistent basis and take games by the scruff of the neck. I think sometimes he sees himself as a little bit of a, not not an addition or a side dish. He needs to be the main course in that Newcastle team and certainly take games whilst Isak is away and, 
and show Eddie Howe that he can really, you know, score the goals, get the assists and, and, and get the points for Newcastle. But until he does that on a more consistent basis, I think the jury is still a little bit out on him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the injury really did come at a bad time for him because he was just starting to show genuine world-class form. I think he was unplayable against City and then that absolute worldy in stoppage time against Wolves where he's injured himself doing it. But, yeah, it'd be nice to see him back on the pitch, Gucci headband and all, doing what he does best. But, uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining me today on the Everything is Black and White podcast. Two o'clock kickoff on Sunday, St Mary's against Southampton. I am going for a 2-1 Newcastle United win. Why not? Keep the good times rolling. Aaron Stokes will be uh, on the next Everything is Black and White podcast for you until Andrew Musgrove returns. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next one.